Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Looking for a way to make some quick cash? Well, making money with DoorDash is super easy, guys. I love riding my bike around the city, and now I get to do that while getting paid. With DoorDash, I get to pick my own hours and be my own boss. I get paid on my deliveries and keep 100% of my tips. Not to mention the sign-up process was so quick and easy. Guys, I'm telling you, just download the DoorDash driver app and see how easy it is to start earning cash today. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com. Welcome everyone to Too Good to Be True. Thank you for taking the time to listen. The subject for today's show is nuclear accidents. Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject and research it, and based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated later in the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research and the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We are only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter in shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We are not so good with pronouncing names, we apologize, and neither of us have any particular knowledge of physics, nuclear technology, or biology. If we have misstated anything, we apologize. The nuclear accidents that immediately come to mind are Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, and Fukushima. Before you get started with Three Mile Island, isn't lack of any permanent means of storage of nuclear waste on the planet an unacceptable risk or a potential disaster? Waste fuel rods are replaced because they become more radioactive and are no longer controllable. They will be radioactive for thousands of years. Some material is recycled, but there is no permanent storage. But moving on to Three Mile Island, Wikipedia provides a description as follows. Quote, 
The Three Mile Island accident occurred on March 28, 1979 in reactor number two of Three Mile Island Nuclear Generating Station in Dauphin County, Pennsylvania, near Harrisburg. It was one of the most significant accidents in U.S. commercial nuclear power plant history. The incident was rated a five on the seven-point international nuclear event scale, accident with wider consequences. The accident began with failures in the non-nuclear secondary system, followed by a stuck open pilot-operated relief valve in the primary system, which allowed large amounts of nuclear reactor coolant to escape." Unquote. This was followed by operators not recognizing the emergency being due to loss of coolant. What was the aftermath of the incident? The Wikipedia article continues as follows. Quote, the accident crystallized anti-nuclear safety concerns among activists and the general public, resulted in new regulations for the nuclear industry. It has been cited to have been a catalyst to the decline of a new reactor construction program, a slowdown that was already underway in the 1970s. The partial meltdown resulted in the release of radioactive gases and radioactive iodine into the environment. Anti-nuclear movement activists expressed worries about regional health effects from the accident. However, epidemiological studies analyzing the rate of cancer in and around the area since the accident determined there was a small statistically non-significant increase in the rate and thus no causal connection linking the accident with these cancers has been substantiated. Cleanup started in August of 1979 and officially ended in December of 1993 with a total cleanup cost of about $1 billion, unquote. $1 billion in 1993 is about one and three quarter billion dollars in today's terms. Reactor number two was permanently shut down. One of the lessons learned was that the facility's complexity, however well managed, would lead to failures. But that wasn't quite the end of the story. What happened? Was there another accident? No, a Hollywood movie was released with incredible timing. Here is more from the Wikipedia article. Quote, on March the 16th, 1979, 12 days before the accident, the movie The China Syndrome premiered and was initially met with, with backlash from the nuclear power industry, claiming it to be sheer fiction and a character assassination of the entire industry. Unquote. The name China Syndrome relates to the idea that a nuclear meltdown could go all the way through the Earth to China. Changing subject to Chernobyl, I'm very interested in how animals have adapted and taken over the large abandoned area. But how did the disaster happen? The bad news started when a Swedish power plant had detected raised radiation levels and sounded the alarm on April the 28th, 1986. The following is from Wikipedia, quote, the Chernobyl disaster, also referred to as the Chernobyl accident, was a catastrophic nuclear accident. It occurred on the 25th of 26th, sorry, it occurred on the 25th of 26th of April 1986 in a number four light water graphite, graphite moderated reactor at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant near the now abandoned town of Pripyat in the northern Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic, Soviet Union approximately 104 kilometers or 65 miles north of Kiev. The event occurred during a late night safety test which simulated a station blackout power failure in the course of which safety systems were intentionally turned off. A combination of inherent reactor design flaws and the reactor operators arranging the core in a manner contrary to the checklist for the test eventually resulted in uncontrolled reaction conditions. Water flash into steam, generating a destructive steam explosion and the subsequent open air graphite fire. The fire produced considerable updrafts for about nine days. These lofted plumes of fission products into the atmosphere. The estimated radioactive inventory that was released during this very hot fire phase approximately equaled in magnitude the airborne fission products released in the initial destructive explosion. The radioactive material precipitated onto parts of the Western USSR and Europe, unquote. It sounds like the accident was highly avoidable, but what happened during the fire that continued for about nine days? Besides firefighters putting out the reactor fire, apparently without protective equipment or knowledge of radiation, there was an evacuation of the surrounding area. 
Here's part of the Wikipedia article on the subject of the Chernobyl Exclusion Zone. Quote, the exclusion zone covers an area of approximately 2,600 kilometers, square kilometers or 1,000 square miles in the Ukraine immediately surrounding the Chernobyl nuclear plant where radioactive contamination from nuclear fallout is highest and public access in, and in, in habitation are restricted. Other areas of compulsory resettlement and voluntary relocate, relocation not part of the restricted exclusion zone exists in the surrounding areas and throughout Ukraine. The exclusion zone's purpose is to restrict access to hazardous areas, reduce the spread of radiological contamination and conduct radiological and ecological monitoring activities. Today, the exclusion zone is one of the most radioactively contaminated areas in the world and draws significant scientific interest for the high levels of radiation exposure in the environment as well as increasing interest from tourists." Unquote. What about the reactor meltdown in the elephant's foot? Wikipedia also in includes an article entitled The Elephant's Foot. In the article, the word corium refers to the lava-like radioactive meltdown material consisting of nuclear fuel, reactor parts, and so on. Here's part of the article, quote, the elephant's foot is an extremely radioactive mass of corium formed during the Chernobyl disaster in April 1986 and was discovered in December of 1986. It is named for its wrinkly appearance resembling the foot of an elephant. The corium mass is beneath reactor number four, the Chernobyl nuclear power plant under reactor room 217. The elephant's foot is a large mass of black corium with many layers externally resembling tree bark and glass. The mass is quite dense, unyielding to a drill bit, but able to be damaged by a Kalashnikov rifle. By June 1998, the outer layers of the mass began to turn to dust and the entire mass was starting to crack. The mass has penetrated through at least two meters or six foot seven inches of concrete. The radiation level near the mass was, uh, sorry, was approximately 8,000 runtgens per hour an invariable lethal dose of radiation, unquote. I wonder how long it will be before the elephant's foot is no longer radioactive. The Ripley's website in an article from 2016 claims that it's going to be a long time. Quote, even after 30 years, the foot is still melting through the concrete base of the power plant. Its existence makes the city uninhabitable to humans for at least the next 100 years. If it melts down into a source of groundwater, it could trigger another explosion or contaminate the water of nearby villages." Unquote. Going back to the animals which have taken over the evacuated area, the obvious question is how they are surviving in a place too dangerous for humans. Here is a quote from the Curiosity website from April of 2018. Quote, Except for a few scientists and roughly 100 hardy civilian residents, Chernobyl has seen virtually no human visitors. But this tragedy has a bright side. The absence of human interference has led to a dramatic increase in wildlife. As reported by Natural Geographic in 2016, biologists performing a five-week survey of the area captured images of a bison, 21 boars, nine badgers, 26 gray wolves, 60 tanukis, and 10 red foxes. But I think we'll have to go into the break, Justina. Yes, we'll continue after this short break, and you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Network, www.xcbn.net. You're a skeptic or a believer. Join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. 
Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.xzonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by shaman worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. too good to be true and before the break dad you're quoting from the curiosity website about the animals at chernobyl yes i'll continue thank you justina scientists studying the population of wolves and other species have noticed similar trends wild horses roam the grasslands wolves root in the dirt and beavers fell birch trees to make their homes but how healthy the animals are is a point of debate Danish scientists Anders Pape Muller and biologist Timothy Massar from the University of South Carolina have found, found that things aren't looking so good for Chernobyl's wild residents. One study they performed found that there were fewer butterflies, bumblebees, grasshoppers, dragonflies and spiderwebs in Chernobyl, even 20 years after the disaster. They've also reported an increase in mutation rates in certain species. But one thing is clear, Chernobyl's exclusion zone hasn't been toxic enough to decrease, decrease wildlife populations to a dramatic degree, if at all. As biologist Jim Beasley told National Geographic in the exclusion zone, humans have been removed from the system and this greatly overshadows any of those potential radiation effects. Between radiation and human civilization, the humans seem to be the greater threat." Unquote. A tanuki is a type of canine or dog with markings like a raccoon. I've read about the wolves in particular doing really well in the exclusion zone. It doesn't sound like a good environment for wolves. Apparently, wolves have a population in the exclusion zone estimated at about seven times the expected level based on the populations typically found in reserves and other locations in the region. The concern is that radioactive wolves will migrate to areas outside of the exclusion zone. Also, there is a theory that the wolves are thriving as they may be taking care of prey exhibiting mutations that may be easier to hunt. 
Before we move on to Fukushima, I should mention that the last Soviet Union Premier, Mikhail Gorbachev, has been quoted as stating that Chernobyl was perhaps the real cause of the collapse of the Soviet Union. The Fukushima accident seems to have fallen off the radar. Presumably, people don't want to be reminded of the possibility that millions of gallons of radioactive seawater has became part of the Pacific Ocean. It may be forgotten that the tsunami that caused the Fukushima disaster killed almost 19,000 people. But the level of environmental concern for Fukushima seems to range from an environmental catastrophe to nothing to worry about. The following is a summary of the events that happened in 2011, according to Wikipedia. Quote, the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster was an energy accident at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant in Okuma, Fukushima Prefecture, initially primarily by the tsunami, followed by the Tohoku earthquake on 11th of March 2011. Immediately after the earthquake, the active reactors automatically shut down. Their sustained fission reactions shut. Sorry, I'll say that. Again, the active reactors automatically shut down their sustained fission reactions. However, the tsunami disabled the emergency generators that would have provided power to control and operate the pumps necessary to cool the reactors. The insufficient cooling led to three nuclear meltdowns, uh, hydronair explosions, and the release of radioactive material unit radioactive material in units one, two, and three from the 12th to the 15th of March. Loss of cooling also raised concerns over the recently loaded spent fuel pools of Reactor 4, which increased in temperature on 15th of March due to the decay heat from the freshly added spent fuel rods, but did not boil down to exposure. The article continues. The Fukushima disaster was the most significant nuclear incident since the 26th of April 1986 Chernobyl disaster, and the second disaster to be given a level 7 event classification of the International Nuclear Event Scale. As of September 2018, there have been one confirmed fatality linked to radiation due to the accident. The United Nations Scientific, Scientific Committee on the Effects of Atomic Radiation and World Health Organization report that there will be no increase in miscarriages, stillbirths, or physical and mental disorders in babies born after the accident. Controversially, however, an estimated 1,600 deaths are believed to have occurred primarily in the elderly who had earlier lived in nursing homes due to the resultant poor ad hoc e evacuation conditions." Unquote. How many people were evacuated following the explosions at the nuclear plant? 160,000 people living near the plant had to flee their homes. The Japanese government in March of 2018 claimed that 70,000 people remain as evacuees. As of March of 2018, the town of Fukushima, which had a population of 10,500, remains uninhabited as decontamination hasn't been completed. What is the current extent of the environmental damage? The London Guardian newspaper, Guardian newspaper in an article from June of 2018 includes the following, quote, the stricken reactor still continuing, sorry, the stricken reactor still contained terrifying amounts of radiation. Cleaning up the mess will take decades and tens of billions of dollars. But outside, away from the few hotspot zones in the mountains, most of the radioactive isotopes that fell in the evacuated zone have now decayed away and huge amounts of contaminated soil and vegetation have been bagged up and removed, unquote. That doesn't explain how much radiation drifted into the Pacific Ocean. Not enough to worry about, according to an article on the WGBH News website from January of 2018, as follows. Quote, five years after the Fukushima nuclear meltdown, the radiation in the ocean, in the ocean off the coast of Japan is thousands of times lower than it was the month after the disaster but water contaminated by the power plant is still slowly seeping into the ocean. Radioactive isotopes from Fukushima have been detected off America's west coast, but in, le in levels so low they, won't, they don't pose a health risk. If you get up every day and go swimming in those waters for an entire year, you have an additional dose, but it turns out to be about a thousand times smaller than a single dental x-ray said Ken Boo Esley, a radiochemist with the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution.
unquote. As of 2016, the international organization Greenpeace was active in the waters near the Fukushima plant. Greenpeace were dredging up sediment from the ocean floor to check for radiation hotspots and for locations free of contamination. Radiation hotspots buried in sediment may still exist, following over 80% of the total radio radioactive contamination from the accident being washed into the Pacific. What about eating fish caught near the Japanese Pacific coast? The WGBH News article from earlier addresses the radiation levels across the Pacific. Quote, Buez Lee's sampling shows that the levels of radioactive cesium in the ocean of Japan are thousands of times lower than April of 2011, when cooling waters from the Fukushima nuclear plant were released directly into the ocean. But they are still high enough to cause concern about eating some types of fish, as radioactive particles can concentrate in their flesh. Buez Lee said around 1% of the fish in the waters off of Fukushima are currently above the government's seafood radiation limits, down from over half of the region's fish in 2011, unquote. What is being done to deal with the reactors that are still leaking radioactivity? In 2017, TEPCO, the Tokyo Electric Power Company who operate the plant, tried robots to take data in areas too dangerous for humans. The London Guardian newspaper reported the following in March of 2017, quote, Developing robots capable of penetrating the most dangerous parts of Fukushima Daiichi reactors and spending enough time there to obtain crucial data is proving a near impossible challenge for TEPCO. The scorpion, so-called because of its camera-mounted folding tail, died after stalling along a rail beneath the reactor's pressure vessel, its path blocked by lumps of fuel and other debris. The device, along with other robots, may have also been damaged by an unseen enemy, radiation. Before it was abandoned, its dosiometer indicated that radiation levels inside number two containment vessel were at 250 sieverts an hour. In an earlier, pro in an earlier probe using a remote control camera, radiation at about the same spot was as high as six, 650 sieverts an hour, enough to kill a human within a minute. What are the plans for the future? The London Guardian newspaper article continues as follows, quote, Now Hiro Masuda, the president of Fukushima Daiichi's decommissioning arm, says he wants another probe sent in before deciding on how to remove the melted fuel. Despite, despite the setbacks, TEPCO insists it will begin extracting the melted fuel in 2021, a decade after the disaster after consulting government officials this summer, unquote. With that, let's begin the questions. Why are the challenges of, nuclear, of the nuclear power industry, such, a, such as the risk of catastrophic accidents or the lack of permanent nuclear waste storage, subjects not often covered in mass media? Since these subjects are far and few between, so it's not as popular as other subjects that people encounter on a daily basis. So, for example, the oil industry or gas, etc., is something people run into every single day. So it is more covered, causes more fear. However, with different nuclear topics, there's little known to the actual public about it. So it's not a subject that everyday people know. Therefore, it's not as popular in the media. I think we don't have time for another question before the break. So can you take us into the break, Justina? Yes, we'll continue with the questions and Psychic Insight after the short break. And you're listening to Too Good To Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net.
They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God, and finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we're going through the questions and psychic insight about nuclear accidents. So, Dad, can you please continue with the questions? Yes, thank you, Justina. What can be done by all of us to protect the environment by promoting a safe, permanent storage of nuclear waste? The biggest problem with nuclear waste is that it's just left there. So working on a solution into just leaving the waste, finding a way to dispose of the waste properly, which obviously is easier said than done, but looking at all means of disposal. So looking at converting it into something that's less likely to be as dangerous. So instead of just putting it into a place and just forgetting about it, studying its effects over time and thinking of plausible options. Did the Three Mile Island accident begin with failures in a non-nuclear secondary system, followed by a stuck open pilot operated relief valve in the primary system allowing large amounts of nuclear reactor, reactor coolant to escape. Yes. Was the Three Mile Island accident a catalyst to the decline of new reactor construction, a slowdown already underway in the 1970s? Yes, since it's finally showed the experts that something bad could happen, and it was more likely than anyone predicted. Were anti-nuclear movement activists justified in expressing worries about regional health effects arising from the accident. Yes, they were justified since the facts were kind of left on their own accord instead of being studied over time. Were epidemiological studies that analyzed the rate of cancer in and around the area of the accident correct in determining that there was a small statistically non-significant increase in the rate of cancers with no causal connection? From their studies, yes. So the problem with any study is that it can be biased, high or low, based on population size, based on which participants they are using, based on what actually they are actually studying in the participants. So basing, for example, of the cancers caused by this or if it is something totally unrelated. So that's the problem with a lot of different surveys and scientific studies is that the sample size needs to be large enough and there needs to be more study of if it's correlation or causation, which is a very tricky line to cross. Was the facility so complex that however well managed, failures would, could, could not be avoided? It's always possible that failures could occur. So yes, it's always was a possibility. Why was there the coincidence that the major Hollywood movie, The China Syndrome, was released only 12 days before the Three Mile Island accident? That was just a coincidence. So it's just very strange timing 
to release the movie, and then the incident occurred, but they were not related. What what can we learn from the accident at Three Mile Island? The safety precautions need to be in place, so especially with things like nuclear power, it needs to be studied in depth enough to understand it enough. So the problem with a lot of nuclear incidents is that people just don't understand the power that they are working with. This isn't something that you could say is natural to the earth, and instead is something that needs to be highly precautious with. So putting in multiple safety measures and treating it as something that is dangerous and powerful, instead of people that are not always trained properly or not putting enough safety precautions in place. Was radiation from nuclear reactions a total surprise when the atomic bombs were dropped on Japan, or were people aware of it? Many people didn't know since, yes, they could study radiation, but in the years that, for example, the atomic bombs were being made, people were handling them without any safety precautions. So at the time, it was known that, yes, there's going to be this radiation, but not the effect on humans that the radiation actually caused. Changing subject to Chernobyl, for such a potentially dangerous system, why would a late-night safety test simulating a station blackout power failure be run with safety systems intentionally turned off? Someone was experimenting on their own, so it was someone who is responsible for it and kind of just wanted to see what was going to happen. So you can think of it as someone just being very unintelligent. Why did the operators arrange the core in a manner contrary to the checklist for the test, resulting in uncontrolled reaction conditions? That was just a rookie mistake, so people weren't trained properly. So the personnel they hired were not in the field, nor had much knowledge of what they were actually working with. Why is there increased interest from tourists in the Chernobyl exclusion zone, which is one of the most radioactively contaminated areas in the world? Since, as you stated, it's one of the most highly radioactive areas in the world. So there's not another place, at least at the time, that people could go to and experience what actually destroyed a single town in the area around the town, the reactors, etc. So basically the call to Chernobyl is that it's a place left in time where people had to just get up, leave their lives behind, and move to somewhere else because of the incident. And there's also the draw from the people about how the radiation actually affects the buildings, the animals, the plants, etc. So there's not really anywhere else in the world where people could go and see these effects. Will the elephant's foot, which is still melting through the concrete base of the power plant, make the city uninhabitable for humans for at least the next hundred years, or will it be a lot longer? Depending how it actually spread and how it is contained, it may be a lot longer. So the problem with the elephant's foot is that it could go one of two ways. It can melt through or it could only affect a small area. However, if it seeps into any of the groundwater, etc., the results could be a lot worse than expected. How will planet Earth absorb the elephant's foot and eventually make it harmless? Basically time, so many, many years of time where the Earth's natural cycle will take over. So where the Earth takes something put into it and basically tries to convert it. So with a half-life of the different material, over time it will get better. However, it will take such a long time that the area still would be unsafe for a very large amount of time. How long will it take for the damage to the Earth caused by the Chernobyl accident? Uh, sorry, I'll start it again. How long will it take for the damage to the Earth caused by the Chernobyl accident be repaired by mankind and by natural processes? Mankind would be figuring out a solution to actually dispose of the waste. For in terms of natural processes, it would take millions of years. So since it's such a highly condensed form of radioactive material, that means that the Earth can't simply destroy it. Instead, it has to slowly over time turn it into something that is not as hazardous as it already is. How can about 100 hardy civilians residents still live in Chernobyl with all the associated health risks? Basically, they know the risks. And with radiation, the frightening thing is that the effects can't always be seen in a slow progression. So instead, the effects can be seen later in life or at a random point where something doesn't seem right. So it's, a li it's livable to live near radiation depending on the levels. 
However, its effects each different per person differently, and the effects may not be seen when they are initially exposed. That's the misconception is that, for example, when someone is initially exposed to large amounts of radiation, there are these large effects. However, when there are smaller amounts of radiation over time, there are slower lasting effects that may come to light later in life. In the Chernobyl area, why have the population of large animals like bison or wolves increased, while there are fewer smaller creatures like butterflies, bumblebees, or grasshoppers? Basically, what the different creatures eat. So insects, for example, are highly susceptible to any small changes in their environment. So the smaller creatures don't really have as much food to eat. However, the larger creatures have a lot more food and can eat off of the creatures not affected. So it's just the natural cycle of life of what actually got affected by radiation and what didn't. Why is there an increase in mutation rates for only for certain species? So in some of the species, the way that their body is built, you could say, over time, is that they are just less acceptable. So you can think of it as kind of this armor they have compared to some other animals, that over time they haven't been exposed to anything such as that. So radioactive materials have been on Earth, obviously. Otherwise, they would not have been able to be used. So some animals just have a higher tolerance for it. Has removing the humans from the area removed a bigger threat to the animals living there than posed by radiation? That could be said, yes, since over time the animals will adapt to the radiation and more and more species will be able to move back in. Why is the population of wolves about seven times greater than normal in the exclusion zone, especially as they will be consuming radioactive prey? Since again, they have this kind of armor against it. So wolves have evolved to the level where radiation does not affect them as much as it is, you could say, affects humans or smaller creatures. Is there any danger associated with wolves migrating out of the exclusion zone? No, as long as people don't use them for food, for example, but that's highly unlikely. So there's not really any danger since the radiation, once it enters the animal's bodies, is not the same process as a human. For example, if a human gets exposed to radiation, nobody wants to be around them. However, with an animal, it's a little different where they are not going to spread radiation to different parts. Do we have anything to fear from the condition of the animals in the exclusion zone? No. Does prey exhibiting mutation provide for a source of food that is easier to hunt by wolves or other carnivores? Yes, a lot easier. A lot of these mutations are harder to have the animals adapt. For example, if they have an extra limb, they're easy prey since they may not be able to run as fast. I think we have to go into the break, Justine. Yes, we'll continue after the short break, and you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. 
do it today. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were going through the questions and psychic insight about nuclear accidents. And we were talking about the animals in Chernobyl. So, Dad, can you please continue? Sure. Thank you, Justina. Are wolves and other apex predators helping to deal with the mutations? Yes, since it's the natural cycle of things where animals mutate, usually those are the first to go, especially when the mutation that makes it harder for them to survive. Do the animals sense a danger from radiation from living in the exclusion zone? Yes and no. They have a natural sense, but they don't feel the radiation. So it's more that they do have a sense of it but it's not a giant danger warning, such as when a fire occurs. You've probably answered this, but are animals adapting to the environment in the exclusion zone, perhaps building a resistance to the effects of radiation? Yes, 100%. Was the last Soviet Union Premier, Mikhail Gorbachev, correct in stating that Chernobyl was perhaps the real cause of the collapse of the Soviet Union? That could be said in a way, since it was a very large you could say smack in the face for the Soviet Union. So it's basically where the Soviet Union tried to be as perfect as possible, but they showed the world they're failing and they failed in a large way. What can we learn from the accident at Chernobyl? To be careful. So nuclear power, any power, or even anything that humans do does come with consequences. So towns can be destroyed by humans and incidents like this, but luckily it didn't spread to many different parts, but in a way also affected many different parts of the world. So the thing with radiation is that it can spread hundreds of thousands of miles, and it's very dangerous to the people in that area. So to be very careful with nuclear power and to make sure that not just anyone that at these sites the people are trained, and to also to have some assessment so not to just throw anyone in a nuclear power plant and think they can operate it. Changing subject to Fukushima, as of September 2018, is just one confirmed fatality linked to leak radiation because of the accident entirely accurate? No. Was there a large number or is there a large number? The problem again is causation and correlation. So it was very hard to link many deaths since there obviously were other weather factors and other health risks in the area. So it's very difficult when a person goes in, they're sick, and they end up passing away to specifically link it to the accident unless they specifically mention that they were there for the accident or investigating it. 
So it's easier to say someone died because of, let's say, X type of cancer, comparing it to trying to make the causation that it's from the incident. Was the accident a result of the tsunami disabling the emergency generators resulting in no available electric power to control and operate the pumps necessary to cool the reactors? Yes. Are the authorities correct in that there has been no increase in miscarriages, stillbirths, or physical and mental disorders in babies born after the accident? Again, that's very difficult to say since the study would have to go over many years. So just a few years of data will not show anything significant increases or decreases since it really depends on the number of babies being born, where the people were at the time, etc. So more factors have to be in play and there needs to be more continued monitoring. Are the estimated 1,600 deaths primarily in the elderly but being poorly evacuated from nursing homes following the accident actually that high a number? Yes. Why was the number so high? Since nobody was prepared for the disaster, so there wasn't a plan to help people try to get out of the area. Since again, it was kind of optimistic thinking that something like this would never happen. How have the how have the huge amounts of contamination contaminated soil and vegetation, after having been bagged up and removed, been stored in a safe condition? You can say that it is supposed a safe condition, since they have been put into metal and concrete holds, but it's never really going to be safe since anything can always crack or leak. Where have these huge amounts of contaminated soil and vegetation been stored? Is that on site? In the proximity, yes, but not directly on site, but near. If you swim off America's west coast every day for a year, is the additional radiation you're exposed to due to the accident about a thousand times smaller than a single dental x-ray? Again, that really depends on the water and where you are swimming. But the amount that people would be exposed to at this time is very small, yes. Is the western side of the Pacific completely free from radiation effects caused by the accident? No, there's contamination that did spread. So some areas may be, you could call them hot spots, where there is more radiation than others. Are there still hot spots of radiation in the mountains and in the sediment of the ocean floor? near the Fukushima plant? Yes. Do these hotspots represent a significant amount of radiation? Yes, they do. Was over 80% of the total radioactive contamination from the accident washed into the Pacific Ocean? Yes. Was or is marine life affected by genetic mutation in the Pacific Ocean following the accident? Yes, there is. Is that being dealt with by predators in a similar manner as Chernobyl? Yes, there's going to be the evolution of species, but again, some different types of fish may be able to cope with it better than others. The major factor, though, is that more sensitive fish and any types of coral that are sensitive to any changes in their environment would be the most affected, and also any mammals. So certain species will be able to cope with it better, such as the wolves in Chernobyl, compared to more sensitive species. So the fear is, for example, Let's say like something like this happens next to the Great Coral Reef. It would wipe out the entire coral reef since the coral is so sensitive to any changes. Were the sea life forms aware of the risks associated with the Fukushima plant? Did they try to avoid them? That's a difficult question since the sea life was more aware of the storm happening. So they already cleared out of the area and the interesting thing about sea life is that they know kind of what's going on on top of the sea too. So if there's heavy weather above the sea, it also affects under the sea. So usually they try to get away from them as, pass, as fast as possible. So there is less sea life in the area, meaning less affected at the initial shock of what Fukushima happened. Are around 1% of the fish in the waters of Fukushima currently above the Japanese government seafood radiation limits? Yes. Should there be greater concern that developing robots capable of penetrating the most dangerous parts of the Fukushima reactors and spending enough time there to obtain crucial data is proving a near impossible challenge? So nothing's really impossible. So it is possible to be able to create some type of robot or drone that can go inside and can collect data. 
So the hard part about this is that any electronic you send there will be affected by the radiation. So creating some type of electronics that would actually not be destroyed by the radiation in the high amounts. So the physical metal may be fine, but it's more of the internal components that would be the difficult task. Are the radiation levels inside the number two containment vessel at 250 sieverts an hour, having been at 650 sieverts an hour, enough to kill a human within a minute? Yes, it is. Is starting to extract melted fuel from the three de destroyed reactors in 2021, a decade after the disaster, a realistic timeline? No, so there needs to be further testing since the amount of radiation can really be a fact if that is ready to be torn down or not. So the facts of tearing down something that is still highly radioactive means that the radiation still has a place to go, meaning that other areas around could still be affected or you could say even nuked. So the radiation has to be highly studied and considered safe before this can occur. Where is a safe place to eventually store the extracted melted fuel? There's not really anywhere so-called safe, but the safest location would be somewhere very remote. So somewhere that's away from the water, away from as much wildlife as possible, and obviously away from humans. How will planet Earth absorb the residual radiation from the three destroyed reactors eventually, and eventually make it harmless? Basically just time. So time can create <coughs> different things on this planet to where the planets can go from basically one extreme to another. But it takes thousands, even millions of years. So radiation is something in these radioactive elements that is naturally occurring in the Earth. However, since humans are altering the natural radioactive elements, it's just going to take time for them to be able to go through their half-lives and their cycles so they become less dangerous. Is it correct to say that it is impossible to make nuclear power plants totally safe against environmental disasters? Yes, just as anything can cause a total disaster. So you can think of even the wildfires that have been occurring in California, for example. It only takes one match, one spark to destroy entire forests. So any technology that humans create can, last, can cause large disasters. It's just trying to take as many safety precautions as possible. What can we learn from the Fukushima disaster? That sometimes a backup needs a backup that needs a backup. So there needs to be proper operation in a place since natural disasters do occur. So any nuclear power could be hit by some type of large natural disaster. It would only be a matter of time. And to try to build any power plants, especially new nuclear power plants in areas not right next to oceans or not next to anywhere that could be easily moved from place to place. So it's not the smartest decision to build something that could be highly affected by natural disasters. That was the last answer. Are some animal species adapting well to increase radioactivity following nuclear accidents too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. Well, we don't have much time left, but uh, it was fascinating to hear about the animals at Chernobyl. That, to me, was the best part of the show. Yes, and always we thank all the listeners for listening and we look forward to next week's show. here and they've been here for thousands of years making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. 
Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simultv, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simultv. Simultv offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. <laughs> 